I was on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and there was is this... Is this the start of a joke? No, 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 this All is right. for real. So there was this whole hoopla about, like, why are we celebrating Valentine's Day? There are better holidays. Why is no one celebrating Pancake Day? Nobody knows about Pancake Day. Everyone should know about Pancake Shrove Day. Shrove Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday. That was, that was the sentiment. Uh-huh. And I was like, what are you all talking about? What do you mean nobody knows about Pancake Day? Pancake Day is celebrated every year, by me at least, and at least and like three other million people from Lithuania. It's one of the biggest holidays of the year. Right? Uh-huh. Right, yeah. We have like... It's a national Lithuanian holiday. It is. It's like Mardi Gras. Uh-huh. People are obligated uh-huh. to be merry and boisterous and we burn effigies. I see. The creepiest effigies you can imagine, just out on the streets. What kind of effigies of who? Like, um, well, of pancake man. No, no, it's 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 someone called More, right? And 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 the, this this sort of mythological entity, it, it symbolizes that, winter and all the bad things. That feels more like it would be related to Valentine's Day, like More. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. No, so it's it's meant to be like a mythological figure that that symbolizes. You know, just just all of the worst, right? Oh. And, and also winter, right? Oh. So we burn it. I like it. winter. No, we burn it. You don't like winter? No, we do not like winter in what's Lithuania. It, what's that with winter? It's cold. Uh, it's, it's very cold. Yeah. It's much colder in Lithuania than most places. It gets... I remember a winter that had minus 32 degrees Celsius. I see. So it's it's a bit less tepid there. I see. Uh, and, and summers are actually really warm. Uh, much warmer than they are here. Is this in a podcast about board games or a no, podcast I'm just about saying, today Lithuanian is, weather? T- today is Shrove Tuesday. Not when people are listening to this. Uh-huh. When people are, uh, when we're recording this. Uh-huh. And I think it's important to mention that Pancake Day is, if you don't celebrate Pancake Day, something wrong happened in your life. You have to, because <laughs> it's just basically you get to eat pancakes, right? Go on, do, do, do your introduction. I know you wrote this out. <clears throat> I feel like I don't need to anymore. I feel like that was a perfect opener. But but pe- the thing is, people won't know what they're listening to. Yes. That's the that's the issue. They think they're listening to something about pancakes or Lithuanian weather or both. Maybe it's a podcast about both. Maybe. But it's not. What is it about? It is about board games. And it what's it talk- called? Oh. <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 It's the Talk Cardboard podcast about board games with me, Elaine, and... Me, Efka. Thank from you, no Africa. pun included. I do wonder sometimes, you know, if people will tune in expecting an in-depth discussion about reinforced egg boxes or something and be quite disappointed when they find out it's not. Is that in your no. written introduction? No. Because that would have been No, I went off weird. the script too. Right, okay, we can... Oh. Yeah, I want to... What's, what's, what's the written introduction to the podcast? Welcome to the second episode of the Talk Cardboard Podcast, a podcast about board games and everything adjacent with me, Elaine, and my favourite Cardboardian, Efka. On today's show, we have Resist, Nightfall and Lands of Galzir, as well as correspondence from our lovely listeners, that's you, and Efka will be presenting the prestigious award of No Pun Included's Game of the Year Runners-Up. Wow, Cardboardian. Yeah. I really like that. Thank I thought you. that was very good. Thank you. I, I do feel like the... Uh, no pun included. Runners up game of the year award is quite a, a quite a prestigious award. Uh, seconded, it's, it's not been done before, so well, yeah. this is true. Yeah, and seconded only maybe in esteem 
by, you know, like a, a medal you get on sports day at school for not accidentally spearing a kid with a javelin or something. It's a, it's a very prestigious award. You had javelins in yeah. school? Yeah. That feels wrong somehow. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a javelin. Why would they give javelins to kids? Well, that, that's why you get an award, if you don't accidentally spear a kid right, with one. Right, okay, that explains a lot. First, though, we have some reactions from our last podcast. Fen writes, I can't figure out how to get artisans on the table because it really feels like it's meant to be played with four players and that's not something we can achieve in a regular fashion. I'm certainly interested in finding out if the game does actually click with a lower number, however. So to clarify, by artisans, uh, they mean... Uh, Artisans, Artisans of Splendid and Fail, vale. mm-hmm. uh, a game we've reviewed on our previous episode. If you want to hear more about that, please check that out. Um, so it's a weird situation because uh, the nature of Artisans of Splendid Vale is that it's it's an up to four player game and each player basically gets a book and there's a narrative and you read it and some parts in those books are specific to certain characters. So some story beats won't happen if you're yes. only playing with two players or three players. My take on this is that we played it with just two. Yeah, we did. And we felt like it was fine. And we felt like there were like some other bits that we're sort of missing out on. But so the game is sort of semi-replayable, I think. And by semi, I mean, there's two ways you can replay it. One is the official way. The other is my speculative way, Mm -hmm. right? So if you want to replay the game again, there's a recharge pack that you can buy from Renegade Games who just basically reset all the bits that get used up as you play through the campaign. There's stickers and stuff, yeah. Yes, but I think if you're playing with two players only, there isn't much that gets used up that's communal that you can't reset manually. And by reset manually, I mean like if you're writing in with a pencil, you can just use an eraser and erase stuff, right? Yeah, and you'd be playing with different character sheets. Yes, and and the components that do get used up, they're used in a way where I don't think they necessarily touch on what the other characters use. So mm-hmm. I think just by Again, I'm not 100% on this because I haven't played for the entire campaign. But I think that from what we've experienced, and we've played quite a few games of it, is that if you're playing with just two characters, then you can play it again with the other two characters and maybe go some of the pathways that you haven't gone in your first run through. I'm not sure there is much value in that for me. I'm a kind of a, you know, like I've played through the story, I'm good type of person but i i can see how someone else could want to go back and experience the other povs yeah there's there's stuff in here that we thought might be character specific because some of the cards do say if blah blah is in your game blah 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 Mm -hmm. uh so if blah blah isn't in your game then you don't get to experience that part of the story but i don't think playing two players whatever characters you're playing I don't think it takes away from the game. We no. we had a great time playing it and I don't feel like we missed out on it. It felt like a complete anything. experience yeah. to me. Uh, I just felt like, hey, those people are just not on this adventure. But but they're somewhere in town. They get referenced from time to time yeah. and they're just not part of this. And that's fine. It didn't feel necessary. Sam has a comment about Ostia. Thanks so much for your great Ostia discussion on the podcast. I also backed the game and have been playing it. 
I found that the kick variant slash adjustment suggestion by John from John Gets Games really helped smooth out the wonky administrative action space. If you're up for experimentation, next time you play Ostia, you should give that adjustment a whirl. Well, I'm not surprised. I did have a John. A, a John? With, <laughs> you had a John. I had a John with chat about this. Uh, and I, I think next time we play Ostia, we might give John's variant a whirl. Um, yeah, uh, big fans of John from John Gets Games. If you're not familiar with John from John Gets Games, <laughs> you can type in John Gets Games, all one word, uh, into YouTube. You'll find his channel, uh, who used to co-host a very, very early iteration of this very podcast uh, with me. Which I wanted to call Tripod because it's a podcast and there were three people, but, but you've There were never three that. people but, on it. There um, were never three people on it. I thought there were going to be three. Okay, no, no. There were going to be three right. people, but that Duo fell pod. apart. Yeah. <laughs> so your suggestion is Moop. Let's talk about the first game on the podium tonight, Resist. Efkus, actually, sorry, can you say that correctly so that people can hear the punctuation? Resist! Thank you, I couldn't resist saying that. Resist, as is correctly pronounced, is a design by David Thompson, Roger Tankersley and Trevor Benjamin, uh, art by Albert Montes and published by Salt and Pepper Games. So Salt and Pepper Games is, uh, I believe, a Spanish-based publisher. Mm. And this is a game that's very much of Spain, if that makes sense. So you are playing in it as the Marquis, Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Spanish resistance, uh, I should look up the, you know, I should look up the historical context because I was like, I was feeling very confident up until that point. And I was like, yeah, the Spanish resistance. <laughs> it's said in 1936, Spain, General Franco and his troops advanced through the territories of Spain, giving way to a long period of civil war and repression. After the Spanish Civil War, a group of loyalists to the Republic continued the armed struggle, forming resistance groups better known as Marquis. Thank you very much, Rulebook. You know, you you went from right really upbeat at the beginning of that when you started reading that out to being like, oh, because <laughs> as you as you read what it actually said, as it processed in your brain what it actually said. So, th- this game. I, let me start by saying this game is fabulous. Mm-hmm. This is. Just such a surprise, such a sort of thing out of nowhere that I didn't expect and and backed on a whim simply because I know very well the names uh, David Thompson, Mm -hmm. uh, Trevor Benjamin, Roger Tankersley, uh, frequent collaborators, uh, David Thompson and Trevor Benjamin, you'll know from War Chest Mm -hmm. and also the One of my favorite games. Yeah. yeah, And the Undaunted series. And one of my favorite games. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I thought, you know what? I, I, I'll give this a punt, you know. Uh, also, the artwork is quite striking uh, in that it, it's just fabulously done. Uh, the colors are beautiful. Uh, there's lots of reds, lots of yellows, lots of oranges. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like keeping within a certain tone, right? Uh, and and I think it's interesting as well. Just just the thematic and, and, and color combination sort of... Um, motif going because red is quite an angry color but mm-hmm. you know yellow and uh, orange sort of sunrise gives you hope you know that kind of no. feeling yeah That's right very deep yeah i, I know right so th- there's a there's a lot yellow of things is also a restless color you know that yeah, yeah yeah so there's a lot of things going in into just this this one package just from the cover mm-hmm. right but then there's also the fact that it is a solo game mm-hmm. and i was not 
quite yet used to playing solo only games. Mm -hmm. When I backed this, I was just starting to get into the groove of it. I think I started with Railroad Inc. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a solo only game, but I played it a lot by myself. And I was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really digging this. And I've never been a big fan of solo modes in other games. Uh, and something that said this is for one player only immediately sort of sparked my imagination. So I was like, okay, but, you know, a publisher that's fairly unknown to me, uh, I've never played any of their other games before. Uh, and this was, the, I could feel from the campaign that this was a small release you know, this this wasn't making like big waves. And I think actually right now, I'm not sure that you can buy Resist, but they are they are either doing a bigger print run or licensing the game to someone else. So Resist will appear in 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 shops and places mm -hmm. online mm -hmm. uh, soon, I believe, sometime this year. Uh, I would watch out for that because I was like I had hopes, but I was completely blown away. So in this game, you play as the Marquis or resistance fighters, right? And I think that this is a, a motif that's sort of reverberating through culture right now, especially with Star Wars Andor. That was like a great piece on, you know, um, rebellions mm -hmm. effectively and, and uh, what it means to resist and what is the act of resistance. Mm -hmm. And I think this puts you in those shoes where you are someone who has to make sacrifices and often... Uh, sacrifices mean sacrificing humans, sacrificing not just humans, sacrificing humans who are your siblings, sacrificing or spiritual siblings, right? Sacrificing uh, people who are fighting for the same cause as you, mm -hmm. but that's the only way to win, mm -hmm. right? And also sometimes people who aren't fighting at all. Exactly. So what this is, is a deck builder. If we just sort of boil it down, right? But deck builders are often, um, they're stories of like heroes, you know, beefing up and getting more better cards and sort of, you know, like starting from nothing and- The hero's journey. Yeah, it's the hero's journey, right? Uh, this is not that. This no. is very much uh, a deck builder uh, that <laughs> where you basically almost don't build your deck. Your deck, in fact, progressively gets worse and worse. Uh, and uh, as you lose people to the cause. And you so get more spies. There's there's a deck of cards in the game, and you will start with a random set from mm -hmm. that deck, and you will likely not get many more cards. You will lose cards, though. You because... can choose the cards that you take. Oh, can you? You can. Yeah, okay, yeah. so you can, you can when you start you the game, to. if you want to, you can, you can create your own right. set. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so then you're presented with missions. And these missions are really hard, right? Like they basically have a target number. You have to beat that target number to defeat the mission. And then if you defeat it, you'll get like a small boon, right? Uh, but on top of that, every mission also has um, like soldiers, uh, you know, that you're fighting against placed face down above it. And every mission has a certain number. So it could be two, could be three, could be four, could be five. Mm -hmm could be six, it becomes terrifying. Uh, and they are placed face down so you don't see how they're going to affect this mission. And you have a hand of five cards each turn. So each turn, you're meant to uh, play some of your cards, then those cards might do things, then you will choose a mission and commit, commit these cards to that mission. You'll flip those soldiers over, go, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. 
and then you can play Even some more you, cards. You kind of know what they're going to be. Yeah. You're still surprised. Yeah, yeah. Then you get like a second opportunity to play more cards mm-hmm. uh, and trigger uh, like different kinds of effects. So your cards basically have plan phase effects and also attack phase effects. And these two sort of intermesh when you play cards before you commit to a mission, you do the plan effects. When you play the cards after you commit to the mission, you do the attack effects. And then you also have a power value on all the cards that you play. Uh, And then if your power value beats the defense of the mission and the soldiers uh, you know, you'll succeed. You'll defeat all the soldiers. You complete the mission, and then you'll move on. And what's your reward for all of that? You'll move on. Yeah. You literally get to well, just move points, on. Victory points. Vic- victory points. Yes, and and also you get you might get a minor effect depending on whether you defeated the mission or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, lose two missions and you lose the game. Yeah. Um, on top of that, there's civilians. And so here's where I get to explain what all these soldiers do. So these soldiers might simply protect the mission. And they'll say things like, hey, this soldier has an extra two defense. You must defeat this soldier before you try and defeat the mission. So you're like, okay, the mission became harder. Others do have defense as well, but they don't necessarily need to be defeated. Mm -hmm. It's just that if you don't defeat them, Mm -hmm. then you uh, will suffer... Uh, they might have an effect. Really horrible penalties. Mm. For example, one of these cards might say, lose a civilian card, right? So mm. you draw a card and it might say one civilians or two civilians or whatever, right? And if you ever lose five civilians, that's also you losing the game. And the game ends when you decide to end it, mm-hmm. right? And this is such a weird and funky rule because <laughs> basically as long as you defeat at least one mission, it says, hey, it's a draw you know, that's it. Uh You're all right. And then the next stop is like 15 points where it's like (laughs) minor victory. And here's the thing with this thing. There's like 10 mission cards and most of the early ones are like two points, one point, and they're already really hard. Yes. Right. And you're like, how, how am I getting to 15? Right. (laughs) You have to complete most of them to get to 15, right. To get a minor victory. But you can bow out at any point. Uh, however, if you choose to not bow out and start another turn, then you must complete that turn. Mm-hmm. And then if that causes you to lose the game via losing a second mission or or losing, losing civilians, civilians uh-huh. then that that's it. That's you losing the resistance. So there's this real sort of like, when do I bow out? How can I sort of up my score? And 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 there's also that contention anytime you're doing a mission where you can uh like hey you can just ignore some of these soldiers and focus on the mission or are the soldier effects so bad Mm -hmm. that i have to just abandon this one mission i know i won't get the top score anymore but you know maybe top score (laughs) (laughs) yeah um we'll get to that in a bit and then finally um the real kicker of the game is that anytime you play a card the card has two sides it's big tarot sized cards with really fantastic artwork that depict uh, the character that you were deploying to this mission. Uh, But the characters have a hidden side and a revealed side. So when they're hidden, they are resistance fighters in secret. Mm -hmm. And the mode you are sending them onto this mission, for example, if you choose hidden, means they won't get revealed. They'll get to do something, they'll help, they'll assist, but they do get to stay on and fight. But their contribution is minor it's generally worse yeah yeah or 
Or you can choose to reveal them and they'll do something really great. But after this mission, they're out of the deck. And I think thematically, I don't need to explain what happens there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's sort of the really big kicker and the really tense decision point. Because oftentimes, you need to reveal these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game is balanced in such a way that your deck is constantly dwindling. And if you just go, I'm just going to... Uh, you know, like play all of them hidden or play maybe one revealed that's frequently not good enough. You need to chain through these complicated effects to eke out every little morsel of advantage just to stay on in the fight and continue. Uh, And again, there are really quite a few horrible effects that can happen to you. Like you mentioned spies. Mm -hmm. There's there's spies in the game. They're dead cards. Mm -hmm. And those dead cards feel (laughs) so punishing. Because you only get five per hand. And and you need every single one of them. Uh, And uh, you start with three in the deck already. And there's only like... 15 cards, I want to say? 12. 12? I think so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's... Because there's 24 and you have half of them. So that's a quarter of your deck is... <laughs> Spies. Spies. Um, there is something... Oh, the third lose condition is if you ever draw a hand of five spies. <laughs> right, okay. As well, so well, that's always fun. There is there is also that, that tells you that, hey, that can happen, mm-hmm. you know. And um, yeah, this game feels really really tough and in some ways we're doing it at the service speaking about it on a podcast because i think the thematic trappings and the artwork really really condense this into a very holistic package mm. that that feels like it knows what it is it knows the experience it wants to deliver and it it's just good it's fun it does to play it successfully. yeah i think it does it very successfully it, it it's also uh very light very quick to play mm-hmm. uh the setup takes barely any time and uh you just break it out it's not an expensive game uh there's a lot going for resist having said that um i i do have a few caveats right now i've since I backed this, I've actually gone quite on a solo game binge, like games that are exclusively made for one player. And I don't think this is the best game in 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 that entire category. I think it's good, mm-hmm. right? I think it's very, very good. But I think it, it's lacking that sort of one thing. And the one thing about solo games is that, A, A you always want to challenge and, and you always want to... Uh, to have a reason to come back to it, which mm-hmm. is a really hard combination. How do you how do you keep the game challenging, you know? And how do you keep it so that like it feels like it's ramping it, or, or you're ramping in mm-hmm. skill, you know? You're you're going up and up and up, and you're meeting the game mm-hmm. where it is, yeah. right? Uh, this this doesn't quite get that balance right, and it's a petty thing because you know this game really wants to simulate something, you know, something historical, right? And it's it's doing a service to that rather than to gameplay although it's no slouch in gameplay either but this is one of these games that i feel like is very experiential but in terms of it being a solo game that i just want to repeat i i, I don't know that be, about that because again that that score sort of limiter you know like mm. you know like 1 to 14 is like draw you know and then 15 to 
something 20 or something like that 15 to 20 yeah. is like various shades of winning so. mm. um and, and that feels like it's it's a very weird ramp and once you meet that ramp like where where do you go from there but right? i think it would take quite some time to reach that i think so but then but then the game doesn't meet that reward level where it's like hey i tried you know I'm still in the draw bracket, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> what's going on. Uh, and I think you can get stuck in that draw bracket for quite a while because I think there is an element of, uh, of, of, of just random stuff that can happen to you. And that's fine. I, I, like, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying, you know, it, it's, it's more that sort of like me wanting to return to it factor. Mm -hmm. Me wanting to challenge this puzzle. Me wanting to repeat it over and over and mm -hmm. over again, which mm -hmm. I think is what solo games are sort of all about mm -hmm. especially when i say solo games i mean exclusively for one player games mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i agree with you but i not sure that i found that and I, I don't know if it's because we played it together so neither of us have ever played this actually solo we've only just played it co-op together and i think playing it together gives it a different feeling because when you're when you have the hand of cards you're discussing whether you're going to use this as hidden or revealed or when you're going to use this and how you're going to use it in the plan phase or you're going to use it in the attack phase and you're you're having that discussion and it it makes it a different feeling from a solo game and I think if I played this on my own it would feel more like a video game boss where you try and do it and 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 then eventually you manage to do it so I think I would yeah. feel that reward more if I actually played it solo mm. first of all i'd like to clarify what what you meant by when you said that we played it together yes. there's not like a two-player mode no we played uh, it solo cooperatively yeah <laughs> every solo game is secretly a cooperative yes. game yeah i think someone on our discord said that uh -huh. it just stuck it's in true my brain. it's true yeah uh so you're right actually we i just realized now <laughs> i haven't played this solo game on my own mm -hmm. uh and thank you for learning and reading the rules by the way mm. uh anytime it's my job but yeah maybe maybe it's that maybe it's that i don't i don't want to write it off completely because despite that like every time i played it i i did feel like oh yeah okay yeah i'm 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 totally enjoying this i'm getting it but when it ends i felt def i feel deflated and i think the reason for that as well is like like you said like it's like a boss and you're gonna try again and you're gonna try again you're gonna try again mm -hmm. but it is just that one boss and once you beat that boss that's mm -hmm. it there is no reason to come back right uh, because because the victory condition points are so granular in terms of like uh, how far did I get? Oh, okay, you know, like I, sixteen, seventeen. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine but that if there's you, if you can see yourself doing that, if you can, you know, you start with I don't know what did we get in our first game? Four points or some nonsense, right? <laughs> that and was then, terrible. But, well, our first game was awful. Yeah, because yeah. we abandoned. No, yeah, I think we abandoned our first game, mm -hmm. and then and then oh, we lost our first. No, we lost our first game, and yeah. then the second game we played. Yeah, anyway, whatever. So, <laughs> so I think that you would feel that because you you start on that really low amount of points, and then you start learning how the cards work mm. and how they work together and also i think what to come back to your point about choosing what you maybe don't protect uh, i think that's a very interesting thing in this game where you have to defeat the missions you do not have to defeat the guards and all the soldiers that are protecting that mission which is generally like a location like a barracks or a crossroads or blah 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 and but 
you when you start playing, you want to try and defeat all of them because of those horrible effects on those guards or those soldiers. And then as you play more, you kind of go, well, well, maybe we can give up some civilians on this. We can do that. And and so there is a progression there as you learn how to play and you learn what the best way of playing is. And I think I would feel, if I played it solo, that kind of granular progression and I would feel satisfied with that mm, I, I think i just seen how the games do it better sure like, yeah okay th- I haven't played always, many solo games there's always like you beat this game and then hey extra challenges you know like uh, and, and I appreciate that more we're going to talk about uh, on our YouTube channel our next reviews yes. for Paperback Adventures yes. I think that is uh, so early spoilers for the video I think it's the <laughs> best solo game Shh. period uh, and uh, I want people to get excited. <laughs> you should have uh, said it more excitedly then. Well, it's instead the of coyly, it's the best <laughs> solo go. game, right? There you so, go. Th- but the verdict isn't what's interesting about that video, I think. So uh, that is going to be going live on the channel very, very soon. Uh, and yeah, and also other games like there's a little game called Unsurmountable mm-hmm. uh, from Button Shy Games, which is a little wallet game. Yeah, you um, love that game, yeah. I love that game because it, it constantly, like, hey, you beat this game. Changes the puzzle. You beat this game, here's another thing, mm-hmm, right? And you're mm-hmm. like, whoa, mm-hmm. okay. I understand. Bigger mountain, literally bigger mountain to climb. I understand. Yeah, but if you enjoy repeating the same puzzle over and over again and just getting slightly better at it, I think this is a really good game. And I think also, I don't know how everyone involved in this game manages to cram in so much pathos into a small game. Because you do feel that when you play it. You feel for every character in this game. <laughs> uh, I might be dead inside because at some you did point not. I, I, I just go, it, it's, it's cards. It's just cards. These are not real uh-huh. people. But maybe that's just my sort of emotional, uh, you know, safeguarding. Like, <laughs> maybe. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling the, I'm choosing not to feel these feelings because I'm not in the mood to cry inside. But I guess, I guess it's like any game, you know, it, whether you want to find out a bit more about what this game actually represents, what it actually means, what it's trying to say, what happened in the real history or not, whether you just play it as a game or whether you actually care about its setting. Talking of which, we have had a lovely email from David about resist regarding the cards. David writes, Mechanically, the idea of being able to play them for their hidden role, keeping them in your deck but for a weaker effect, or revealing slash sacrificing them for a stronger one is simple, but both so engaging and puzzly and perfectly thematic and linked to the idea that the Spanish resistance movement will always wear itself out in the end. There is no way to defeat the regime, but the best possible outcome you get is small victories and moments of hope. Again, thematically, something very touching. They go on to say how fond you grow of the cards, much like in Undaunted, and how you don't want to sacrifice someone that's been with you, helping you, just to, and I quote, give a little hope to the movement, and how that's unexpectedly a sad moment in a solo game. Well, I think that sums up the game pretty nicely. I think so too. Uh, there, there is that moment of, 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 of choosing the revealed mode, and mm. especially when that card's been doing things for you, like good things, and mm-hmm. you've been sort of keeping it behind and going, no, no, no. But then <laughs> then 
you're you're faced with a dilemma. You're that, that I, I think mean, that's thematically the really, and yeah. uh, emotionally. Yeah, right. Like there's that moment where you're like, no, I, I have I have to sacrifice them. They, there's there's no out, right? Yeah. And how do you choose one over the other? Like it has yeah. to be so pragmatic. It has to be so sort of removed from human emotion right. because you're looking at numbers but they're not numbers you feel them as people i don't know why this game manages to <laughs> to elicit that feeling well, that's what i meant know? though yeah yeah but it, it really succeeds at that but mechanically you don't want to remove them either because your deck is so small to begin with and it's depleting and you don't want them to go away but you don't want them to go away because you like them and yeah. they've helped you but yeah. mechanically you don't want that either it's it's a good synergy of theme and Isn't storytelling it? and mechanisms so. yeah I, th I think a real real remarkable success from uh salt and pepper games david thompson trevor benjamin roger tankersley and albert montes uh everyone everyone involved in this game should give themselves a big pat on the back um that's been resist Still to come, we have Lands of Galzir, the Game of the Year, runners-up, and more correspondence. But right now, let's talk about Nightfall. Nightfall comes from publisher Red Raven Games, uh, designer T. Alex Davies, uh, story campaign by Ryan Lockett, and illustrations also by Ryan Lockett and Andrew Bosley. Nightfall is a curious case of a game that is good, but I just don't care for very much. And... I hesitate to say that because I think within the genre of game that it is, what it does, it does really well. It's just that I don't care for what it's doing. And that genre is sort of an arena battler, right? So in Nightfall, you play either as knights or demons uh, in an asymmetrical head-to-head. -head. This can be a two-player game, a four-player game, maybe a three-player game. I think primarily it's going to be played at two or four mm -hmm. uh, because uh, let's say you're playing with two players. This is how we played it. You each on one person each takes on two knights mm -hmm. and the other person each takes on two demons, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and you're placed in a nine, sorry, three by three, a nine square grid, mm -hmm. right? Each grid, like uh, a tile that you move on, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and And then you have these heroes, they have special abilities, they attack each other. Um, if you're playing as the demons, there are these elders on eight of the nine tiles. They just stand there. Yeah, they just sort of stand there. They have six hit points. Uh, if if you kill an elder, you get two points. Mm -hmm. um, if you're knights, you have to protect the elders. You don't get two points for anything, but you get a point automatically at the end of every round. And then everyone also gets a point for killing a hero of the other person mm -hmm. right and and that's sort of the game in a nutshell right like i i in a way i don't need to say anything else about it right it's beer and pretzels the old beer and pretzels coming back from out of the past and going <laughs> do you want to chuck some dice and kill some things on the table except there's no dice in this game it's a bit cleverer than that because it's a card system that i think is actually quite good mm. it works really well and there is a lot of asymmetry within because it, like you score in different ways based on which team you are on. You have slightly different mechanisms. Mm -hmm. um, you have slightly different advantages and disadvantages. Uh, and also you have um, 
what was I going to say? You have one more thing that I felt was really important. Don't forget, leave it for last. Unique character abilities. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, again, I have a lot of positives to say about Nightfall. I think what it does is fun. At no point playing this game did I feel bored or like I was having a bad time. <laughs> I just felt like I don't need this in my life. Right? Like, I, I'm sort of done with that and I'm ready to move on. There is not a space in your life for Nightfall. No, and that's kind of sad because, again, I had fun. Like, I, as we were playing it, I thought, oh, this is close. This feels tense. Uh, and I feel like I can do a lot of tricky maneuvers. Mm -hmm. I can navigate a lot of things. And, and one of the really clever things about this is that... Uh, so a lot of the things in this game are set. So turn order is always set. So it's one demon character goes first, then another knight character, then another demon, mm -hmm. then another knight. knight. Mm -hmm. Then you activate round. all these minions at the end of the round. Uh, you score a point if you're the knights. Uh, and, you know, specifically the, the knights minions go first. And if they're still alive, they get to, you know like attack someone that's next to them or maybe move somewhere else and then the demons minions the imps also like come alive and then if they're alive they get to do things so you're constantly at this push and pull if like you you might want to you know attack a demon or maybe you should attack an imp because if you take out an imp it's harder for them to get imps back and if they've been not focusing on your minions mm -hmm. maybe that's the sort of overall points advantage that you can accumulate by by having more attacks and squeezing out more advantage uh each each turn you uh first of all your heroes feel different right what they do mm. um varies up some can be similar for example in the last game i played i had two heroes where it's like uh one summons minions more minions right because there's a hard limit on minions the other also summons minions more minions but there's also other characters right and uh, so I had like a minion palooza happening. I had minions. You had a golem palooza. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Th there were there were just a lot of minions that you had to contend with uh, because if you don't get rid of them, they will overwhelm you, right? <laughs> and they uh, did. And they did, yeah. Uh, but there's also like, um, you know, these sort of beautiful moments where there's, there's tension. You might not want to attack at all, even though attacking is what gets you points. Uh, you might want to like get more shields up because as knights you have a unique ability you have shields that basically say uh if someone on a your tile or adjacent tile is hitting an ally of yours so that could be an elder that mm. the demons want to kill and score them points right you can sort of jump in and take the hit and you know lower your shields um there, there's there's a lot of nice maneuverability and crunch and decisions um you get Free cards every turn plus a bonus little card um, that's the same every round. And these cards have like symbols that you can use for various actions. And those symbols could be different. You might get an attack action or a ranged attack or, or a magic action. You have special abilities on your cards. Mm -hmm. You could get cards that you tuck under your character and they stay around permanently. Uh, you know, increasing your character's yeah. abilities there's just so much to do one really nice thing is that if someone kills your hero no problem a new hero appears a totally different <laughs> one and it's like hey i get these new cool abilities to play around with right it's just a lot of fun right it's 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 a lot of fun in this little package it's not a very expensive game it's good looking 
I just, I think I'm just done with this genre. Mm-hmm. But having said that, there are some problems with it. Uh, so first of all, uh, production is um, not great, right? The rule book, you, you've read the rules for this, yeah. but, but I looked into this. So the rule book is nearly impenetrable. <laughs> Um, it, it leaves a lot of things in a game like this where it's like tactical. So if it's tactical, the rules need to be very specific because people need to understand how like certain rules interactions work, right? A lot of that is vague. Um, then there's also in this little package. So on top of this game, there's also a co-op mode and and a campaign mode, mm-hmm. right? Which, Which we have not yet played. We have not played. There's a reason for this because the co-op mode has rules that has come in the game are just not really very workable in fact a new rule book has been posted online Mm. and i was going to read that but then i read the comments on this new rule book and a lot of people said this still needs to be better and i was like i just don't think i have Ah. do you know what i mean like i i i I, yeah as a reviewer i feel like a responsibility right Mm. but also i who who has the time you know yeah, I think you're right. As reviewers, I don't think it's necessarily our responsibility to plug away at a rule book that is incredibly difficult to penetrate. Yeah. Uh, especially because the games that we did play didn't spark our interest enough mm. Mm. Uh, for us to kind of progress through what right. this game has yeah, to offer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's a bit disappointing. What I really liked about this game, though, was the kind of metaphysical aspect of what you said earlier, where if your knight or your demon dies, no problem. Just another, bring out another one. There you yeah. go. Have yeah. a different demon with different talents and different abilities. Yeah. But your deck stays the same. So even though your character has slightly different abilities, your deck is the same. Mm. And in fact, I kind of killed one of my demons off pretty on purpose because mm. I didn't quite like what it did. And I was like, mm, maybe I can get a different one that's a bit better. Yeah. So, and and actually it gave me a bit of a bonus anyway, because it when it died, it kind of exploded, exploded, it exploded and, and, and did some and damage. Like so yeah, it worked out, cool. it worked yeah. out really well. So there is that little bit of thinkiness to it. And I do like how the cards can be used in three different ways. They have two different abilities on the cards and then on the reverse of the card you can use them as a minor action and then plus so you get three of those and plus you get the basic action card every time Mm. and I think that's really clever because you can kind of plan for what you're going to be doing but you can't plan out the game like in you can't plan out several turns in advance because you don't know what you're going to be drawing and they might do something different and what the other player is doing is obviously going to affect what you can do back. Mm. I just I remember some years ago, Osprey Games released Martin Wallace's Wildlands, mm-hmm. and, and I'm invoking that comparison very deliberately because I remember playing that game, uh, which is very similar to this, and thinking this is very clever. Mm. Uh, but Wildlands came out like I want to say 2018, maybe 2019, mm-hmm. something like that, and I thought. Oh, you know, I appreciate what it's doing, but this game feels dated, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This game feels so much like Wildlands. I understand. And in some ways, it, it's it's lighter, it's breezier, it's more b- beer and pretzely, but it still feels like it has that mechanical fidelity of Wildlands. It's like a, an easier going Wildlands mm-hmm. that's still just as much fun. 
but it feels dated. Yeah, uh, something that disappointed me a little bit about the game, and it is, I guess, minor, but you have these nine tiles, and the one in the middle is always the one in the middle. It's always the same tile, mm-hmm. but the eight round the outside vary up. You, know, mm-hmm. you can place them in any way you like. And it didn't change anything. And that was a bit disappointing. Even So you don't have to play with the little uh, variants on each tile. So there's little abilities. Like yeah, when you like, step on a tile, something happens, right? Yeah, you, you can play without that. health yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you can play without that. And in fact, the rule book recommends that you do on your first game. But even when we played with those, it didn't really change much feeling okay not for me it didn't i didn't care okay okay. i I really didn't care what i think i think you have to care about the game to care about that maybe right maybe that's it because i think i think it's for people who are invested uh you know that there's something there that you know like because it is it is quite a close fight every time we play this game yeah that's true it was pretty close and, and like a difference of a point right because it's whoever gets to a certain threshold wins well, yeah, that's true. Even if you die, even if your character dies not by the other person killing them, if they die because they go on a tile where they lose a health and then that makes mm. them die or whatever, or you kill them off, uh, then the other player still gets the point. Yeah, right? but there's so some I guess nice there interactions. Some... Like the, the, so, okay, so there's a demon, for example, that starts with a lot of health, but every time they move into a tile, they deal one damage to everyone they're including themselves. Yes. So like anytime they move, they take damage basically, but also they deal damage, but there's a tile that heals for one. So if like a lot of people congregated on that one tile because they wanted that like one little health bump up, right? <laughs> and this, they tend to be clumps in this game. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. things clump up into like focal points, right? Well, it, it depends also where you spawn. Yeah. That's why too, right? Yeah. And, and so there's like, there's this sort of like, um, you know, like congregation because once someone is there, people don't want to leave because when you leave a tile with enemies, mm. each of them deals you one damage. So like focal points develop. Next side. There we go. And it's natural for these focal points to also be on beneficial tiles because they produce interesting effects. Yes. So like if you can move into a tile, deal one damage to everyone, but also negate the penalty for that i appreciate that as granular but there are some things in this game that are granular but it feels like whether you're going to win or lose it's in those margins there was a lot of little things that i did like about this game and i enjoyed playing it Mm -hmm. with you but there were some things that were just a little bit like like for example for me it was quite difficult to differentiate between the demons and the knights. And I was looking at it going, oh, that's me there. Oh, no, it's not. That's Efka. Yeah, the weird part Because they're all is, the same colour. Is that so? Okay, so the colour motif of this is blue. Is blue. There's a lot of blue. But the demons are purple. However, the background of each tile, whether they're demons yeah. who are meant to be purple or knights who are blue, the background is still blue. So at a glance, everything is blue. Yeah. And... Hey, I I like blue as much as anyone, you know? It's a calming color. It's the color of the sea. I like the sea. I like blue, right? (laughs) Unless the sea is green, in which case, clean up your sea. I get that it's a motif, you know, but it makes things less legible. And, And drab as well, which is not something I often say about Red Raven Games games because they they don't look drab most of the time. They look vibrant and colorful. 
this is not one of those. I know what you mean, but I, I disagree on it looking drab. When I was looking at all the different knights and all the different demons, I, the artwork on them is great. I, I like how they are drawn, but you don't see them close up normally. They're, mm. they're on the table in front of you and you're trying to see at a distance, at a glance, which is yours and which is not yours. And that is annoying <laughs> because is. you don't know. Well, again, because the background is blue. Yes, The background exactly. is blue and that's all you see. You see the blue and go, the, the artwork gets lost within that yes, it deep does. dark blue, right? So again, another production issue. Rule book, production issue, artwork, production issue yeah overall i enjoyed it but it doesn't for me do anything that i haven't seen in a game before and it doesn't do anything better than what i've seen in games before i guess my verdict then is it's competent and if you like it great we've got a pretty meaty question from Ooh. jameson uh-huh uh-huh which he says he's thought a lot about so okay. get ready for this one okay I'm, I'm, ready. I'm really serious. Okay. He says, I'm more interested than ever in how to make this hobby with all its positive aspects, such as inclusivity, community building, etc., into something responsible in terms of spending versus compulsion slash hoarding, making more proactive attempts at inclusivity and environmental, how to curate one's collection into something that gives joy and satisfaction beyond the immediate pleasures of opening a new box, handling pounds and pounds of plastic, and only assuming certain of your friends or casual acquaintances might be interested in the hobby it's a difficult conversation i see what you mean mm -hmm. when meaty. you said you're serious it, it is a meaty subject and the honest answer that i can give is that there is no answer to this no. right the only answer to this is time right time and perseverance uh the number one problem that we face is that we are in a consumerist hobby mm -hmm. right um and in terms of it being physical games, we're in the most consumerist side. Well, that's not true. There's miniature war games. There's Games Workshop, right? But aside from that, right, uh, there is... The one thing that's different about board games is that unlike, say, role-playing games, mm -hmm. you, you can collect role-playing games, but a lot of people just get PDFs, honestly. Yeah. Uh, especially with, you know, tablets these days, it's really easy to read them. Most of my role-playing games, I have a modest collection... I had a much bigger collection yeah. and I was like, I just don't need any of this. I have PDFs of this, um, you know, and I just got rid of it. Some some games that I really, really loved, right? And now I maintain a modest role-playing game, sort of, you know, assortment for like, if, if, if we want to play something that's really cool, I've got that, but I'm just not fussed. The difference about board games is that if you are an enthusiast with modern board games... Part of the appeal isn't just playing games and isn't necessarily even just owning games, which I know some people fall into that trap and it is a compulsive addiction. But also, there is that element of discovery, right? One thing we really like in games, I think a lot of people really like, is discovering new mechanisms and how a game works and how it interacts and how it plays, right? The only way we get that kick is if we keep getting new games, right? And and I think um, a, a lot of interesting factors are at work here. The myth of the auteur is really big in board mm. games, right? I appreciate that a long time ago, uh, designers and artists made a big push to have 
their name on the box and that's really important and I'm not denying that. But also as a consequence of that, what we see often is the designer's name on the box. Mm -hmm. And so we associate the game with the designer. And oftentimes we'll talk about like, you know, oh, it's a Matt Leacock game or an Alexander Fista yes. game or a Bruno Cathala game, you know, any of those, right? And we recognize them and we're like, Reiner, can you say, give me more, you know? Um, but in reality... <laughs> He's done 700. He doesn't need to do any more. After yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm at fault of this, you know? Like, why did I back Artisans of Splendid Vale? I saw Nikki Valens uh -huh. on Kickstarter. I know I like their games. And I'm like, yes, okay. You know, like more of that, right? Um, but in reality, a lot of people work on the game, not just designers and artists, there's developers, playtesters, editors, rulebook writers, mm. uh, you know, publishers who effectively function as producers. You know, um, there's there's a moment in Hoplomachus Victorum and Hoplomachus Remastered, which is a game by Chip Theory Games, where they didn't put the designers' names or the artists on the box. And at first I was like, ooh, that's not good. But then you read the rulebook and the designers are credited. Mm. And actually the two of the three designers are the you know the people who run the company right and the third one isn't just credited as the designer in the rule book but it also you know there's like a featurette little like kind of what they did and what they brought to the game and all the amazing contributions i thought actually that's a pretty good way of handling it because you don't you everyone is properly credited but you now see like you know the sort of whole picture of everyone who worked on mm. it being uh, appropriately you know recognized mm. for their contribution and and so that was a little tangent but and i'm sorry about that i know i'm pro to those but what what effectively we have right now is is that sort of chasing of the new thing by the next from the thing and you know we recognize a lot of names we recognize a lot of mechanisms people often talk about Oh, what's your favorite worker placement game? Well, I, I, how is that? How is that a category even? Like, I get <laughs> that it's a category because they're all worker placement games, but different worker placement games evoke different emotions. They elicit different responses from players. You know, there could be, you know, your caverna, which is just like I'll put my dwarf what, wherever. You know, like this this fantasy farmer miner <laughs> slash person can. You know, like do do some sheep raising, some rock chopping, or uh -huh. well, it doesn't matter, right? And then you have Kalos, where it's just like ah, you know, like every move ah. <laughs> Why did you put your worker there? So they, they're completely incomparable games. But we want to discover what's new. We want to discover how this mechanism evolves, and so our compulsive side of of the discovery of this hobby, you know, is is fueled by that mm. it, it only further reinforces these habits of collecting and buying and and i think a lot about how we talk about games how we bring them to people's attention mm. has to change in, in 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 our small part at mpi we've been subtly shifting these things and subtly sort of discussing games in in a different light uh but we're not there ourselves and and it's gonna take a while till it becomes something else um as with anything you know it's time and perseverance but you know i i'm, I'm glad that this question came up mm. because i think it's important to talk about these things 
but yeah, it's not going to happen fast. There have been recently some articles on the internet about this kind of thing that talk about how do I differentiate between whether I actually want to buy this game, play this game, is it going to enrich my life or not? Or whether is it just going to sit on the shelf as part of my collection? And I think those are interesting psychological evaluations because I understand what you said with the death of the auteur and everything, but you do like if with music, for example, if you see an album out by a band, sorry, you, uh, this myth of the auteur. What did I say? Death of the auteur. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different thing entirely. Yes. Uh, the myth of the altar, yeah. Uh, if you see an album out musically mm. by a band that you like, yeah, then sure. you probably will give that a listen, right? Yeah. And if you see, say say like there's an ELO album and, and you see a new ELO album, you know that you probably will like that or at least want to give a listen to it okay i'll but give it you... to you in, in, music has it worse music and books definitely has it worse right yes especially but, because books are like this one person wrote it you know but my point is right yeah. if you so you know that that's all going to be done by jeff lynn it's going to be sung by jeff lynn it's going to be produced by jeff lynn right it's going to be mm. written by jeff lynn but then if you see an album by someone else that's produced by jeff lynn you probably will think I might give that a listen because I enjoy yeah. the way that he produces the music, what he does with the sounds. And I think that is similar with board games, that, that if you see a game by a, a publisher that you like or a designer that you like or an, even an artist that you like, it doesn't really matter what category that game is in. You might give that a try anyway. But with music, it's very different because now it, music is mostly not even a physical medium you know okay and, and say that hypocritically because i have a vinyl collection <laughs> well but yeah. uh, but but that's curated that vinyl collection that's yes, that's the is. thing right yeah. so we don't have a house full of records no but okay i still think we have so far to go because like you know when i did that video last year where i you know, got rid of half of my board games, right? Yeah. I was still 118 board games left. You I know, know. You know, I see people say things online. And again, I'm one of these people myself. Like, oh, I've trimmed my collection down to only 100 board games. I'm mm. like, what world are we living in? You know, like, this, this isn't like... You know, you're not saying good things here. Because, like, 100 board games, mm -hmm. and I say that as someone who owns more, too much. Mm. Too much. You know what is not too much? What? 20 board games. I think I think if you have 20 board games and someone who's not into board games comes into your house and sees 20 board games, they will say, wow, you must be really into board games. Mm. And you can say back to them, you don't even know half of it. Uh, Jamson spoke about like environmental factors too. And that is a big thing at the mm. moment because there is a lot of plastic and it isn't just the fact that plastic is not biodegradable or whatever because if you know if you're going to keep a game for 50 years then all right i understand why you would have plastic but it's also the fact the oil that goes into making that plastic that's another whole different environmental issue entirely right so there's a there's so many different things to think about and that that question is a, a really good question but it's got so many threads as part of it yeah yeah it's it's a big thing and yeah where does that oil come from right yeah um time and perseverance that's, mm. that's and, learning. and learning i think we have to yeah. learn as a community as people in this hobby uh, whether professionally or just you know playing a game once a year, I don't care. Like we we have to learn how to be better at this. 
Another question that we've had, which is entirely unrelated to what we have just been talking about, really, really unrelated, completely different subject. I can't tell if we're is, serious or not. Is, uh, has Kickstarter been good or bad for game players? And that is from Jacob. I mean, I, I think we talked a lot about that in a previous episode and, and what Kickstarter brings. Again, Kickstarter is a, uh, crowdfunding is a complicated issue. Uh, yeah. It, I, I think they meant uh, yeah. crowdfunding in general. Yeah, is it is it good or bad? I think I would I would ask for Jacob to write back in and to clarify specifically more what they meant mm. because it's very broad. But I, I'm gonna try and take a punt at answering it. I, I think both. You mm. know, I, I think there is a lot of derivation that is happening in Kickstarter. A lot of what we've seen being done again, 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 mm -hmm. again, because it's the whole sort of like if if someone sold, you know, like, um, I don't know, gold encrusted bathtubs for, you know, <laughs> seven billion, you know, uh, just made a real killing on them. You know, uh, you will see seven other people doing gold encrusted bathtubs, bathtubs uh -huh. you know, but slightly different, you know, because you know, next one will get four billion. The next one will get three billion, two billion, one billion, half billion. Still money, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Still money. Mm -hmm. So uh, Kickstarter is a lot of that, and you see a lot of derivation, repetition, more of the same. Uh, I don't think that's good. I don't think that brings us like where we want to be. Uh, but at the same time, it is an avenue. You know, a lot, a lot of the games we're discussing. Just on this very podcast, I've been published through crowdfunding, including Resist, mm -hmm. Lands of Goals here. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, Nightfall, I think, was a direct retail. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's nice to see from time to time. <laughs> it's unusual. <laughs> yeah. Unusual. Yeah, yeah we, we have spoken about this a bit anyway, about Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I struggle with with Kickstarter, I, I love it as a platform for people launching their their stuff but one of the problems i had and it relates to your golden bath thing uh -huh. analogy gold encrusted bath. Gold, bath analogy is that if you bought a gold encrusted bath and then you saw another gold encrusted bath uh on whatever crowdfunding yeah. you wouldn't need that gold bath because you already have a gold bath ah but, but what if it's better well, Maybe that, you should sell your gold encrusted bathtub and buy another one. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. I think that's my problem with it. Like some of the Kickstarters are huge considered purchases. They're not just like, you know, a couple of cups of coffee or whatever. They not are if you're a board game reviewer. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was a very self-deprecating joke because if you're a board game reviewer, you can't be like, oh, I don't know. Should I be stingy about this? No, I have to figure out what this thing is, right? Oh, okay, we have to eat beans for the next month or whatever. But it's yeah. it's still a considered purchase because we're not backing every Kickstarter no, that comes out, no, right? No, that would be... So you still have to think, is this going to be for me? But there's always this, oh, maybe the next one is going to be the game for me. This is going to be... Because they have this mindset they they give you this mindset of this is the game this is the game for your game group this is going to be the game that you're going to be playing forever and it's worth spending that two hundred dollars or whatever because you're going to have more than two hundred dollars worth of fun out of this game but there and that would be fine if it was only that one game but then you know 
tomorrow or an hour later, there's 10 more of those, right? Mm. And that's where the problem for me comes is that you can never quite achieve what this promises. What, however good the game is, the game is not going to be the best game for everyone ever that backs this Kickstarter. And then where do you, where are you? What do you do? And we're back to, yeah. as I said, entirely unrelated yeah. to that previous question. Well, Elaine, now that we talked a lot about consumption and, and crowdfunding, mm -hmm. shall we talk about uh, a lot of games that nearly became our game of the year and therefore we think are really good and would recommend them? And most of them did come from crowdfunding. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we? Unless you had a better introduction in your script. Please talk us through the games that are the milk sitting just under the cream. The ones that were, in the words of Roy Walker, good but not the ones. The games that have achieved the distinguished title of NPI's Game of the Year Runners Up. That was so much better. <laughs> that was so much better than what I did. Scripts, everybody, they're great. Um, the only reason I have a script is because I have the brain of a gnat and I can't remember anything. Yeah, you can't remember that. That 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 can only be read out, right? <laughs> that's that's not. I mean, I guess you could memorize it and practice it, and you know. But no one's got time for that. This is a podcast. Let's talk about some board games. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, first up on my list, I, I'm going to be very brief because I think this episode is overrunning. Uh, I just want to mention some games that we were in the consideration and uh, some of them we aren't going to cover, some of them we are going to cover, uh, some of them we have already covered. So uh, very quickly, first up, Mind MGMT. I love this game. This is a hidden movement game. You can find more about Mind MGMT in our legacy episodes if you, if you scroll down uh, on the podcast feed. I don't think it's too far away. You'll find our conversation about it. It's a hidden movement game. I don't like hidden movement games. Uh, I don't like them because uh, I think it suffers from the problem where one role is boring and, you know, yes. it's just like, uh, okay, you're, you're all having all of the fun or one person at the table is having all of the fun and, uh, and, and I'm not and, and I wish this was over. So a lot of hidden movement games do that. Uh, a lot of hidden movement games have the problem of like, oh, this is just like gone into a slog. We have to unravel everything. So, so Mind MGMT suffers from one of those. I think one role is slightly more boring than the other, but it's still interesting. But the pace never lets up. Mm -hmm. It's one of these games that, that feels more deduction than hidden movement. Because if, if you're the one who's looking for the hidden thing, for the hidden person... You, you are constantly working out an ever-evolving puzzle, a deduction puzzle. And, and that puzzle never lets up because the way the person moves on the map that is hidden is in a sort of snake-like pattern where they can't go back on themselves and you follow their sort of breadcrumbs uh, <laughs> that you piece out uh, and it's, it's this sort of riveting experience of like, I've almost got them. 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 Ah, I nearly got them. Just, ah, yes or no. You know, so mm. uh, it's that. And I, I find that really, really engaging. Uh, I should also give a shout out to the art. It's just incredibly psychedelic. Uh, it's it's done by the creators of the comic book that that the 
that the uh, license, I guess, is based on. So Mind MGMT is a comic book. Um, and this game is based on that comic book. And I think they've done it a real justice. Uh, I, I love it. It's subversive. It's uh, experiential. It's, it's, it's really quite a game. Um, again, I think what knocked it down is just that, 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 that one role, the hidden role, is slightly dull. Uh, it is slightly sort of, it's not that you don't get to make decisions as, as you go through the game, but it is a little on rails as in you're literally doing like a snake path. You can't go back on yourself. So a lot of it, you, you can plan out as you start the game and then just procedurally follow along. So I think that's the one place where it falls down a little bit. It's nearly our game of the year. Uh, next up, I want to very quickly mention Frosthaven. So, hands up, we were both involved with Frosthaven in a very minor way. Uh, we designed one scenario out of the 136 scenarios. No, you designed one. No, 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 we both did. You just didn't get credited, which is going to get fixed. So, let's gloss over that for now. That's why it didn't make our game of the year. Uh, but, but we did get paid for it, so... Uh, I, I did just want to say that on a personal, very, very super biased level, I had a grand time playing Frosthaven. It was everything I wanted it to be. It was, I was really scared that it was going to uh, just be too much. It's going to, you know, get swallowed by its own ambition because it added so much to the Gloomhaven formula. There's whole new things like alchemy and outpost building and this and that and that and that. But actually, I, I think it, for me, it was... It was a fun experience because it evolved on the combat and the character classes, but also experientially it felt new because there were all these things that felt cohesive and, and tight-knit and one leaned into the other. Um, we had to stop playing because games, other games need to review them, etc., etc. Uh, I can't wait to delve back into... Frosthaven, uh, especially because uh, designer Isaac Childress asked me for some feedback on on the storytelling in Frosthaven. So uh, I, I'd, I'd love to provide that. So at some point, we're going to have to find an excuse to play more Frosthaven. Uh, I want to mention Paperback Adventures. Uh, this is, our, as I said before, our next video. Um, it, it just didn't make Game of the Year because we got it too late. Uh, we, we, we haven't quite made the video uh, that we did end up making for Game of the Year and, and our choices. Uh, but but we were in the process of it where it was too late to change mm -hmm. it. But but I played it and I was like, wow, this is... Yeah, you were blown away a little bit. This is something else. I think if I got this game a month earlier... It would have been a contender. I I I, I wonder if we had a... If we would have had a very different video. Um, so... Uh, but hey, that's coming very soon, just a couple of days away uh, from when this podcast episode is published. So stick around for that on our YouTube channel, no point included. Well, Efka, that was some good games. And I think this brings us very nicely to another question that we've had from Brock. They ask, if you have, say, three to four hours on a night to play games, would you rather play one big meaty game or three to four smaller one hour games? I never know how to answer this because mm. um, 
I have so many follow-up questions. Like, how, how am I feeling that day? Do I feel like if I had three to four hours, would I rather play one small game and then go do something else? Or or would play three, four small games or one big game? Like, there are so many variables how I feel, what I ate, what I'm planning to do the next day. What are my chores? Do I have to, like, worry about this or that or the other? Well, I think that's a perfectly um, cromulent answer that it depends on the day. Yeah. It really depends on who we're playing with. How many mm -hmm. people have we got? Is it just us two? Have we got people coming around? How much time have we got? Like, what, what kinds of games do people like to play that are coming around or... Have we got anything to look at ourselves? Uh, the, the other way I would answer that question is actually, uh, we have a TikTok account now. There's only one video on there. <laughs> but there uh, will be more. But there will be more. And the next, next video on it is going to deal with uh, complexity in board games. And it, mm. it, an explanation, a very quick, very succinct explanation of why or why not choose a complicated game. Uh, and I think that will answer that in a different way. Coming up are some more of the words that you sent to us, but right now, let's get on to our last game, despite it featuring one of my least favourite things in the world. Let's talk about Lands of Galzir. What's your least favourite thing oh, in the world? It's animals wearing clothing. Like, for no reason. Like, particularly in the kind of Disney thing where Goofy is clothed and whatever and then you have Pluto that's a dog also and is a dog and isn't humanoid at all it just and it just drives me I don't mind when there is an animal wearing a, a clothing that is weird where, where you go oh that's really odd look at that rabbit wearing a waistcoat I dislike very much if they're just like a world of animals wearing clothes because and yet you have a Beatrix Potter themed bedroom. Oh my God. <laughs> um, uh, I do like Paddington, but that's, see again, that's different because uh, anyway, this is, this is besides the point. I love Get Land of Girls Here. Right. Okay. Even though it has animals, I very quickly got past the animals wearing clothes. Right. Okay. Well, what an introduction. Thank you for that, Elaine. I do not love Lands of Galzir, which is published by Snowdale Design, designer Sami Lakso and Seppo Kukasyarvi, graphic design and art also by Sami Lakso. I, I like it. I, I do like it. I, I don't mm -hmm. mean to give that exasperated sigh, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but it, it is starting to feel derivative now, I, I think. I know you gelled with the mood of this game mm. a lot. I think the closest equivalent, just as a shortcut to describe what it is, uh, I would say Sleeping Gods, because I think tonality-wise and and ex experientially-wise, it, mm. it is a very similar game. I found um, the world presented in Sleeping Gods to be richer. Mm -hmm. uh, I found it to be more sort of broad and interesting at the same time. So it was it was broader in that it felt bigger and it was um, more focused in on certain elements in that, like, I, I got a really good feel for the verisimilitude of this mm -hmm. world. Um, so what this is, is, is basically one of these choose-your-own-adventure books that happens on the map, right? Uh, you, <laughs> you can't see Elaine's face. She, she is looking very pleased. <laughs> um it's a genre that we both like and we both enjoy um but 
But it could have been named Land of Genaria. And oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I just okay. I I liked so. In so many ways, Lines of Gelzir hits so close. I think I think it hits so close to the mark, where you can almost feel like like it's just about there, right? But but also in other ways, it just falls short by feeling incredibly inconsequential. So again, you are animals in clothes. You travel around this map, uh, and wherever you land, you'll have like a mini sort of episode of. I choose your own adventure story. Something will happen, and you'll have choices to make, and you'll have dices to roll, and you'll involve your skills, and you'll either succeed or fail. And mechanically, it is sort of as simple as that. Mm. There's a bit more to it, like hey, move to this place, and then um, maybe it'll have you know a quest where that'll mention a tag, mm-hmm. and this tag could be completely anything, like you know warm or coffee or you know a newspaper or you know something right and you might have a card that has that tag and often cards you have have multiple tags that are sort mm-hmm. of descriptors for the thing that you have and then if you have that you might get like a bonus to succeeding towards it and then you're rolling dice based on the skills that you have and there's this nice mechanism where it's like oh if you have a skill that's adjacent to the skill because they're sort of in this sort of circle mm-hmm. right then you might roll the skill for, for for like this the secondary skill that's not mentioned, but like it might have results on the dice that do help the skill that you're looking for. And some results might even be like, oh, if you did roll this symbol for this other skill that we didn't mention, that's also like a net positive, uh-huh. right? So there's these little nice mechanical touches that I think are very clever. I think the design part of it is incredibly sound. Mm-hmm. right as a system it propels itself fast effortlessly it just chugs along you go from one place to another to another you have a mini thing and the mini thing is over and you think well that was nice you know <laughs> uh, i i didn't mind that at all or that was touching even you know or that was maybe m- moderately funny uh <laughs> Or, you know, oh, that was cute. And then you move on. And and that story has no bearing on anything that happens anymore. Some stories are, are multi-part quests. Mm-hmm. But honestly, those were my least favorite. Because, because by the time I went to part four, I was like, I just want to be done with this. I actually want to move on to the little... <laughs> inconsequential things because this is dragged on a little bit i think that's a bit of a different experience from me uh i do have a couple of slight iffy bits with it uh one of it is most of the game takes place uh in not an app necessarily but a, a website so you can have it on any device it's not an app you don't have to download it it's just a website but you can download the story so you can play it offline uh, and st- uh, there are parts of that that aren't necessarily well written, like the grammar uh, and the structure of the sentences. And one of the things I enjoyed most about the game was having all the different characters that are speaking to you in the game that you are voicing. Um, 
And when you're trying to voice them and the sentences are, are quite broken, it's quite hard to stay in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I, I have that issue. Uh, the other issue I have with it is that it has these thousands of different tags and will they be relevant or not? I have no idea. Uh, and not very often they are relevant, but actually once we start, and I thought that was going to be a bigger problem than it was because once we started playing and okay, so we tried to do a thing. Do you have this tag? No, I don't. Do you have this thing? Uh, no, I don't. Do you have this thing? No, I don't. Do you have this thing? Yes, I do. And it suddenly was a really nice moment when you actually had a thing that could help you do whatever you needed to do. Yeah. And that gave me a lot more joy than I thought it would. There was a moment where you had the thing and then we pressed on the app or the website. Yes, we have a thing. And it started playing music at us. Like, <laughs> yes, it did. Like I know. victory, right? Oh, talking of which, you can get the entire soundtrack and there is a link on the website for you mm. to buy the soundtrack separately if you want to. But overall... I don't know what it was about this game. I just enjoyed the entire experience. I enjoyed much more than you, the, the park quests, mm -hmm. because I enjoyed the fact that you started out and you did a thing and then you learned a bit more information about this thing and how did it affect you and, and why were you part of it? And just the whole thing was so nicely done for my yeah. brain. Uh, one odd thing I'd like to pick up on is so this this game is generally sort of cutesy animals and clothes but it's not always cutesy oh no um oh yes <laughs> there are some dark moments no, uh, so okay no i think most of the game isn't dark it's whimsical mm. it's it's sort of happy-go-lucky going. Do you know, it that, has some, it I, has that some, didn't come across for me. I didn't find it happy-go-lucky. It has some pathos. Mm. It has some sarcasm. Uh -huh. it, has, it has a little bit of everything. But at one point, it went into Resident Evil 7. <laughs> yeah. Like, genuinely. I'm not yeah, even... Did. This isn't a hyperbole. No. At one point, it went so dark. And, like, okay, I'm not going to say it's maybe happy-go-lucky. It, it looks happy-go-lucky. It's maybe just, like, average. It's just sort of normal, right? Mm. But then the jump down in that one bit of story was so, like, what the hell is happening here? And can we get out? How do we get out? Oh, no, we can't, right? Um, I was, re it's one of the first things that happened. It was maybe our like fourth bit of story or something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I was just flabbergasted uh. at how far down it went. And by down, I don't mean in quality, in, into horror genre, uh -huh. right? That really did. One of the things I enjoyed most about it was yeah. the fact that if you are the active player the other person reads your stuff mm. so the other person punches in the number uh, that you have to read out and then they read it out and we had some really fun moments with that like yeah. we had we we had this lion that was like this and then we had this this turtle that had plodded along along with us and it was quite boring and slow like this right so we yeah. we just had a lot of fun i think with that and and i understand what you're saying about this shift in tonality but for me i think that was 
not a negative thing you know like i know it's trite now but you know when you get like a video game or a, a film and there's a big fight scene yeah, but yeah. the music is very tinkly tankly and <laughs> you know like this yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. and that's done a lot now but but i think in a board game it's not and yeah. and you got it's the, hard to get that across right, right yeah. you got the impression that this was the fluffy duffy or whatever because yeah. because it's animals in clothes but it really wasn't because it never gave me that impression, no, right? Yeah, but yeah. then we went into the story, and 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 yeah, it's not a children's game. There no. are very questionable, I think, yeah. uh, moments in it. But then it also represents the world that you are in and gives you more flavor about yeah. what you are actually doing in the game. Yeah, it's fluffy animals with the brutality of a nature documentary. See, right? I th maybe that's the difference. Maybe because yeah. I, I cannot stand animals in clothes. We've already established that. Yeah. I don't find it fluffy because it already gives me that sense yeah, of yeah, like yeah. sicky, you know, uh -huh. when I see it. Uh -huh. So I never found that. Uh, I I, I admit that I'm maybe a bit overly negative about Lands of Galzier because I like a lot of what it's doing. I'll be I'll be upfront, right? I don't I don't dislike this game. I just I feel like I just wanted something a bit more for it to lean in one direction more, you know? Uh, like, yeah, I understand, yeah. It, it is a little bit of everything. It doesn't do anything incompetently. But it's... It doesn't do anything outstanding. Either. No, it, no, it, it I just, know. It just oh, yeah. feels like a bit of nothing. A bit of nothing that I really enjoyed. But, mm -hmm. you know, cup of tea and a biscuit, you know, sit down, <laughs> have a fun time. Until you spit the biscuit out because you've read a bit that's like... Resident Evil 7. Resident yeah. Evil 7. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Um, yeah, you know, I have nothing bad to say about it. I, I, and, you know, if that's what you need in your life, just a little bit of like inconsequential choose your own adventure fun that sometimes takes an unexpected turn mm -hmm. and has mechanisms that develop over time you know it, it, it ends nicely because it doesn't end it's sort of it goes on until you explore all, all the random content and start repeating things because eventually i think that will happen mm -hmm. uh but you can sort of go on and on and on i think you've got about at least 12 games out of this because each time you play it's a month and then the month changes sort of what happens yeah. on the overworld yeah. map. Uh, you know, and there's two sides of the board. There's two sides of the board for summer and winter, so the events change. Um, so there's this, some stuff to keep coming back for. Uh, each time you play, every player will have, you know, seven encounters mm -hmm. as you go for like a week, basically, of that month. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, there's also these nice moments if it's like, if it's a Thursday, different things might happen than if it's yeah. like a Wednesday or whatever. Because you don't know what the app is going to throw out, throw out at you. Or you might pick up an event card. If you don't land in a city, if you don't land with a specific prompt, you draw a card and then you yes. check where you are. You check what day it is. And based on that, you get like a different mm -hmm. encounter. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff that just happens. A lot of stuff that evolves naturally because of these myriads of tags that mm -hmm. you picked up. Mm -hmm. And there is a sense of like this intangible progression that is is pleasant. And again, overall, I, I don't dislike what it's doing. But I don't love any of it either. No. I, one, one other thing. I don't think the rule book does itself any favours either. Oh, really? No, not really, uh, because it makes the game feel a lot more complicated than it actually is on 
the table mm. because of all these tags and these verbs and these things that, and you're going, I have to learn all of this stuff and I cannot possibly keep all this in my head. So I think I would reckon there is a video by Sammy Laxo on uh, YouTube uh, where he goes through the entire thing. And I think I would recommend watching that because it explains it. I think a lot better than mm. the rule book does itself because I think you can get really stuck in the mud. And I did. I mm. did initially uh, until I watched that video. So I recommend that. So yeah, for me, I guess it's, if if you're looking for a little inconsequential fun, Lands of Gelsir will propel you along for quite a few games. Uh, if you're looking for the best storytelling game out there, maybe this isn't it. We are nearly at the end of the podcast. Ah, but hurrah, because first we have some more general correspondence from the Carbordians of the world. First up is Joshpin90. They would like to know what our favourite mass market game is, and they also request that if anyone has a better term than mass market, they'd like to know it. I think the people in mass market games still call it mass market games. I think so, I, yeah. I think the best person to ask that would be Eric Lang, who's a board game designer who transitioned to the mass market <laughs> game design side of <laughs> things, still being a board game designer. Enthusiast board game, I should clarify. I don't know. I don't play a lot of mass market games, honestly. What would be my favorite one? Scrabble? <laughs> Can I go for backgammon? Can what about I, Mastermind? I, that's, I think that's yours, isn't it? Oh, that's it? mine? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But I, I do also like, and I don't know if it really counts as a mass market game, but just a deck of cards. Just because I love a pub game. Yeah. See, I so, would have I I picked a lot of stuff like Backgammon or, you know, yeah, just a deck of cards, you know. Is, is Werewolf? Like, is math Mark? Well, I think, I think some games that were hobbyist games have transitioned into that. Like, Codenames is now classed as a mass market game. Yeah. Because I, it's just so I, I pick Codenames. <laughs> All right, fair. I love Codenames. It's great. I still love Codenames. I, I know that for most of us, it's played out, been done, seen it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's still fun. If you sit down with a game of Codenames, you're not going to have a bad time. And Sarah asks... When do you game? As a typical nine to five person, I play on evenings and weekends. Do you schedule your games into work time or keep them separate from your editing, filming, research time, etc.? Or broader question, how do you structure your time and what does a typical day look like? Is it the time to reveal your your new you invented this board game category? Your new category of games. <laughs> Please reveal your new category of games. Well, breakfast games. Yeah, but the what do you call it? Waiter, waiter, there's cardboard in my cornflakes. It's the official name for the category that you've invented? Yes, yes. <laughs> nice. So, waiter, waiter, there's uh, cardboard in my cornflakes is a genre of board games that you can play in the morning. As in, I've woken up, you mm -hmm. know, I don't, I'm not rushing anywhere because it's not a work it's day. It's a weekend, Or it's maybe. a weekend or whatever, you know. I'm eating my cornflakes what can I play beside that with a partner by myself? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be a little solo that game. It doesn't like, take a long time. doesn't take too much setup time. Yeah. And, and is fairly easy and light and breezy. Yeah. To get myself into the day. So that that's what we do as a cardboardian family, mm -hmm. right? Um, <laughs> sometimes a little bit of insight into our daily life. We've, I mean, you say family. We have done Pucket with Bessie, the dog, yeah. in the morning. Yeah, that's true. Because the only game she can play as a dog. Otherwise, it's a mess. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. 
we are very different people mm-hmm. scheduling wise. Mm-hmm. I am a late night, late morning person. Mm-hmm. I like to wake up late. I have the benefit of working from home and choosing my own working time. Now that working time clashes with Elaine's ideal of a working time, which she goes to bed early, wakes up early. Well, uh, it, after, you know, 20 years or so of waking up for work, uh, that I had to be there at mm-hmm. half eight at the latest, yeah. I still wake up at seven or before. You're still not an evening person. Oh, I know. No. I know this is because I have ADHD. I know this is because of that, right? I'm not, I'm not under any illusion that this is my quirky light owl personality, right? It's just because I have ADHD. I don't, I, I can't manage going to bed early, mm-hmm. right? I, I try. Mm-hmm. I know it's not good for me, uh, but I, I struggle with that a lot. And I'm not a morning person. I wake up feeling groggy. I need, you know, when, when I used to work in like a workplace, you know, I had the, uh, you know, I had jobs that I had to get on the bus. So, you know, I had to wake up early. But by the time I went to the bus stop, you know, I, I had a shower, went to the bus stop, uh, sat in the bus, got off the bus, walked to the workplace, you know, by then I'd be awake already anyway. So it didn't matter, right? Now I wake up and I'm like... I can confirm this. You know, for, for like an hour and a half, right? Uh-huh. And then I'm, you know, slowly gearing into work mode. And it's late by then already, because again, not an early riser, right? So so this, this clashes... Um, a lot with you mm-hmm. and we are constantly in the process of trying to accommodate create some sort of structure yeah so like for me uh i will wake up fairly early and then use that time before you wake up to mm. read rule books or even set up for b-roll or film b-roll if depending on like where we are or set up a game or whatever so that that is kind of what i will be doing while before you wake up yeah and uh in terms of gaming i think and chores (laughs) normal like house chores gaming falls into bursts for us Mm -hmm. we we normally have a burst of like hey these are all the games that came in that we wanted to play that we were excited about Maybe we read the rule books in advance or maybe we're just going to read them now. But then we have a couple of days where we're like just blasting through games and and enjoying them mostly all day long, really. But that is where the breakfast cardboard Mm -hmm. waiter thing comes in because if there is a waiter there's a cardboard in my cereal right if there is something like resist that i've read that i think actually this is a game that we could play while you're not quite awake this is a waiter waiter there's a cardboard in my cereal board game yes yes. uh then then i say okay let's let's play this while you're waking up and having breakfast and that's kind of how we start the day sometimes uh but then yeah those days will generally continue with you know a, a two, three, four, depending on the length of games, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe there's a couple of those days. Maybe it's broken up. Like, we'll have a day of that. Then we have to, you know, get some of the other stuff done, like writing, you know, preparing for the podcast, uh, preparing this or that or the other. Admin, scenes. yeah, mm-hmm. you know, learning rule books, uh, editing, filming. And also taking care of our physical and mental health. Which has uh, become increasingly more important in our yes. lives we're we're more and more learning to 
have a more balanced work environment. I used to write late into the night, mm. for example, and I've learned that that's a mistake because like, oh, well, I'm not asleep. I might as well write. No, no big no-no. Because then you then, won't sleep for longer. Yeah, like you, you wake up the next day and go, I don't want to do anything because I'm so tired because you think that writing isn't exhausting, but it, it's, it is really, oh, really it's tiring. Work, it? It's incredibly yeah. tiring. And, and you wake up the next day with no impetus to do anything whatsoever so i need to you know i needed to learn to temper myself in that regard so uh, scheduling is an ongoing process for us that's i guess the best answer we can give but i think we gave a frank answer i think we gave a frank yeah. insight into our daily life so uh there's that our last bit of wordage this week comes from zoe who asks do you feel like there is cultural value in normalizing cooperative and semi-cooperative games over strictly competitive ones? Okay, I, uh, so not, not to be rude, I don't think I quite understand the question. I think it means there are a lot of people who shy away automatically from cooperative and semi-cooperative games because they have a mindset that the be-all and end-all is to win a game and with cooperative and semi-cooperatives they can't be the winner of a game you mean like the sole individual winner the sole indi I, I think that's what it means i'm not entirely sure again this is one of those questions that it would be nice to hear a clarification on but i just don't have maybe this is my personal biases i just don't have a lot of experience of that in mm. my life i don't meet a lot of people that are in that mindset of like i have to win over others mm -hmm. i have met some people who haven't liked cooperative games but i think cooperative games are incredibly popular mm -hmm. like i think maybe that's to do more with like personal experiences and personal group dynamics because i can imagine that certainly people like that exist who are so dead set on like, no, I have to be the victor. And I can imagine that playing with a person like that can be difficult and, you know, like like uh, a minefield of unpleasantness, right? There is also, I think, something that I have considered in the past and been aware of is that unnecessarily, I, I realize that, but if I play a cooperative game with someone and we lose that, Am I responsible for our loss? And I worry that I'm going to ruin their game by being part of that losing experience. And if the other person is fine with that, then great. But if they are upset that we have lost the game, then I feel horrible for doing that. But I think it's like anything. And I know this has been repeated. This isn't words of wisdom. This has been repeated loads of times. Whatever game that you want to play is okay. Whether you like cooperative or you don't like cooperative or you like competitive or you don't like competitive, whatever genre or type of game that you enjoy and you get joy out of, I think should be a good thing. Maybe this is just one of these spots in, 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 in my personal experiences where I just haven't noticed that there is a bias against cooperative games. Maybe that's the environment that I'm in. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's the people that I play with. And and in, from my perspective, you know, cooperative games are an incredibly popular genre of board gaming. So, but again, like I'm, I'm not denying the question in any means whatsoever. I think it's a really valid question and a really important one. 
I just don't think I have a lot of insight into mm. that, if that makes sense. Mm. I do worry in general about how much our industry is starting le to lean into competition, mm -hmm. whether it's co-op or competitive games or what have you. There is a sense, and especially with advent of things like BGA, where it's like, this person is the best at, at that mm -hmm. one thing, mm -hmm. you know? And, and You can get sucked in. Yeah, that. you can get sucked in. And I've definitely had experiences where like, you know, I've, for example, never been very good at Great Western Trail and I played someone, you know, who's really into Great Western Trail. Not necessarily that game, but just as an example. And it's like, wow, okay, you are into that game in ways that I never want to be because because it would take up too much of my time and energy. And I, I'm interested in, like I mentioned in this podcast before, discovering new things. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, so I think I think there's there is that sense of competition that worries me, you know, and that I have encountered. There's this sort of sense of like like competitiveness trumping all uh and where you are like focusing the experience uh to go a certain way. And the problem with that is is table dynamics mm -hmm. and and reading the room mm -hmm. and you know, if if one person is into that um coincidentally mark big mark bigney from uh so very wrong about games uh spoke on their patron exclusive little uh podcast add-on thing called blood um where he played a game of uh dominion <laughs> against some people and he was like doing a strat right uh -huh. and when he he did a move on turn two. The entire table went, "What? Did you, how did you do?" <laughs> and and he realized, "Oh no, I just shifted this entire play session into a space that it wasn't before, and that the other people on the table weren't expecting that." Mm. And so, I I've been thinking about that a lot lately myself about how competitiveness can affect the table and how competitiveness yes. can. You know, like one person doing, like trying to get a completely different experience out of the game than others and how it can color that. And I think the worst part, the good part is that if you are aware that that can be a problem, then, you know, even if you want that, you need to read the room and what, what the right. others want. Right, but it's how you, you react. Yeah, but if you're stuck with a person who doesn't read that room, doesn't want to make compromises in the play experience, and in certain ways I understand why they don't because they've, they've learned to play that game in a way like others can't, you know? But but that's fine, I think, because if someone is really good at a game and you want to get really good at a game, then you can look up to what they have done, what they have learned. You can learn from them, right? But it's like you were saying, you know, it is the way that they behave and they comport themselves. Are they willing to teach you are they willing to help you to get better as well if that's what you want and there are people who just want to be playing casually and they maybe they want to try and improve their own score for themselves but they don't care what you've scored or what you've scored or what you've scored we'll read out other correspondence on the next podcast so please do keep asking stuff either on our discord board or email elaine at nopunincluded.com on the next podcast we'll be talking about votes for women canvas heat and turncoats so if you have any words of wisdom or any questions about those please do let us know and that's it that's the podcast, as the kids say. Thanks so much for listening. And Efka, if they want to find more pun-free fun, where can they go? 
Well, they can go to nopointincluded.com, which is a collection of all the things that we do. But primarily we are a YouTube board game review channel uh, called No Point Included. Uh, you can type that into YouTube. You'll find us. Our next video, as I mentioned, is on paperback adventures. Please do write in about that as well. If you have any correspondence or any correspondence about games we've discussed on this episode, we'd love to hear about your experiences. Elaine at nopunincluded.com. We also have a Patreon, which is where you can support us and give us money because we review board games for a living. And let me tell you, <laughs> bills are hard. <laughs> uh, so uh, You can't eat cardboard. No, you cannot. I've tried so many times. It's an ongoing gag for many board game reviewers. Um, so if you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash nopunincluded. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks, Friday morning.